Hello everyone, welcome to Sec Tools podcast by Infosec Campus. I'm your host of the show, Sanup Thomas. This is Sec Tools podcast episode 44. We have a guest with us, Jeff Foley, um who is an author of AMAS project. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. Um so Jeff, you have worked uh, immensely on attack surface mapping, um reconnaissance and threat mapping and threat reconnaissance and what not. But before we get into like all the projects works, um how about we start from you? Like how wh- what was your journey to Infosec? My journey to Infosec, it's been so long, right? Um it started with just being a what felt like an average computer science student and being given the opportunity to work with security i uh, automated some uh like security detection capabilities <clears throat> that made that uh ended up being convenient for my employer and things just kind of snowballed from there you know ever since i've i've worked in the area of cyber warfare i've implemented um both offensive well primarily offensive programs for uh companies but now uh with attack surface mapping which I'm or attack surface management which I imagine will be discussing it it's a little hard to say whether that's considered offensive or uh, defensive but we can talk about that later but yeah it's <clears throat> it's uh, been more about opportunity i suppose than uh, a a grand plan if that if that makes sense i see so you you didn't take the the traditional um security professional path of like you know planning up infosec uh, prior maybe in the from the universities and then organically getting into it but it just you do a lot of works before you know the the cyber world right yeah hey, as opposed to say one day i woke up and said i, I want to do that <laughs> uh it was it was more <clears throat> i learned how these systems worked and it caused other people to think I could help with security and then that's how I uh, ended up uh, contributing to information security interesting uh, talking about the AMAS project right um I've going I've, I was going through the the project details and um how it's getting started and um currently it is an um flagship project from OASP um I've noticed the project's actually released in August 2018 uh curious to notice the first release in open source was 2.5.0 that means there is probably like a older versions before it so uh, how about like taking us to the journey of amas project and how it started uh, where it, where did that idea come from and how it becomes maybe an owasp uh, contribution yeah sure yeah you're you're spot on or you 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 got me um it it started before uh i started working with owasp it it started as a a convenience tool for me uh i was working with a lot of clients and in these conversations with them where they were trying to uh decide how do we want to spend next year's infosec budget you know what are the gaps in the in our program you know where do we need to be focused for next year there were there were very few say data driven decisions being made right it was it was one person with a a feeling that maybe we should try this maybe we should try that as opposed to saying let's look at the situation and we will address the the actual gaps or where you know the program isn't um 
positioning us best uh, to improve our security posture. So I started coming to these meetings uh, equipped, I guess you could say, with the mapping of their exposure on the internet so that I could bring something a little bit more concrete to the discussion. Like, this is what you actually look like to a potential adversary. And if I were that adversary, this is probably what I would do with that or what I would target first. Perhaps you should make sure that, you know, you have the right security controls in place there, or that you're hardened in those places. <clears throat> so it's, it made it easier to take these discussions to, uh, making good decisions. And I realized this just needs to be how I come to all these meetings is equipped with this kind of, uh, say, vi visibility on the target organization or the organization that's being discussed. So <clears throat> that's why I built it, right? That that was my, say, selfish reason for creating it because I, I could do all that by hand or manually, but it was time consuming, right? I, I didn't want to be spending my time doing doing that. And I lived a life of automating everything I could uh, since I'm comfortable with programming. So I automated the process of generating this attack surface mapping uh, and then woke up the next morning, grabbed it and went to these meetings, you know, so it was, it was, that's how uh, I got started with it. Now, when certain people saw what I was doing, they said, wow, that would be really useful to a lot of other people. You should share it. And I thought, yeah, why not? You know, it would be great if more people were equipped with this uh, understanding. So I prepared it for open source release. Now that was back in when I actually released it. I believe it was September of 2017. Obviously, from my what I just told you, I had it before then, but I, it wasn't open source at that point. Once it became open source, it seemed to kind of quickly gain popularity or people were using it. I believe HD Moore noticed it and uh, sent out a pretty important tweet about it, uh, bringing even more attention to it. And things just escalated from there. Uh, it wasn't too long after that when OWASP said, this is important to us as well, and it's missing in our portfolio, but we see how it's critical to the future of uh, information security. Would you be willing to donate it to our foundation. And I said, yes, since I'm not trying to make money off of this or, you know, this, I don't have some say entrepreneurial plan attached to this. I figured what better way to get it in the hands of more people than to put it into the, the, the organization that's focused on open being open and uh, neutral and just focusing on good security. That means that you went with the very enterprise plan or designs and then it, it happened to be the open source project, which is probably the unusual way because usually we'll see the open source projects are created and then it converted to commercial or maybe licensed versions will, will be created, like community versions and licensed versions are created. So this is fairly unique to see. Um, maybe the one that I've seen so far, I, I, I don't remember like any other tools that actually gone to the other side of the spectrum. Uh, you know, interesting. I mean, the other piece of this that people usually ask is, well, why did you make it in the first, like, why did you begin doing the mapping in the first place? And I mean, that has a little bit of a different story because it's the roots, I think, go back to all the years I spent 
uh, in cyber warfare, working closely with the military, where they always understand the battleground, right? They always understand what they look like out there. They understand what the adversary looks like out there. If not, then they're hesitant to make decisions. So this type of situational awareness was critical where I had come from. And then when I was working uh, with these commercial companies where it seemed like this was the opposite, they were oftentimes, almost always not equipped with this uh, understanding or knowledge before making their decisions. It just seemed like a obvious uh, gap that needed to be filled, right? So that's the reason why a lot of people want to know what made you do it or what made, made you think to do it. Well, it was that is because we always did this uh, when we were per performing operations. Uh, why shouldn't we treat it this way when it's a corporation? I don't, I don't really see how mm -hmm. how it doesn't make sense to do that. So, yeah. Um, also, um, threat mapping has been like discussed in the industries for quite some times, but there wasn't there wasn't something that what MS was supposed to do. Things like um, other projects are also existing in the in the same domain, uh, but probably you you build it in a very enterprise convincing method. Uh, if I say that's the right the right way to address it, but because it's actually coming from your background from uh, working with cyber warfare and what you actually do it and and it's something that you're trying to solve it from your work test. What is your process of designing and then solving a problem with code? And then making it as more so-called like production-ready uh, software, right? What is your approach there? So for for over fifteen years, working with cyber cyber warfare, but specifically research and development. So that's the that was my role within that world. It was we need something that does this better, or we need something that does this that doesn't exist yet. Build it. And it has to be worthy of use in th that environment, right? So <clears throat> a couple of things to take out of that. Uh, one is I'm usually solving these things from the perspective of we have a problem and we need to solve the problem. So it's, it's not uh, focused on building it into something bigger. It's usually let's just focus on this one problem that we have right now that needs to be solved. The other thing is <clears throat> I don't tend to write these things in scripts because I've always kind of had the attitude systems shouldn't be built on scripts. They should be rock solid pieces of code that you could run in any potentially harsh situation and preferably with few, uh, say, dependency issues and things like that that come along as baggage. So uh, I've always built these things uh in C, and then when Go was released, I've used Go because these are the, you know, powerhouse system programming languages that have, have existed. So, I mean, at least from a technical angle, <clears throat> that's part of what's driven me to make the choices that I've made. But a lot of times, uh, these are, I want to say, incremental improvement type projects, right? It's not let's sit back we'll design the whole thing perfectly and then you know start build it's it's let's get something working and then let's make it better right because 
the like I said, the point is let's solve the problem. Let's get this working. Let's be able to do it. So, um, you know, maybe that shows up in, in the open source work too, is that <clears throat> I really embrace this quick release, keep playing with it, keep, keep making incremental improvements, keep releasing every, you know, I, I like the agile nature of, of working that way. I like trying new things out and then if they don't work, then take them back out. You know, it's like, <laughs> keep playing with it, I guess is <clears throat> kind of how you do it. Um, but I think that is kind of how the open source community is willing to work. I mean, I think lots of projects uh, work that way. Maybe my motivations were slightly different, mm -hmm. but um, I mean, that's one thing I really like about the open source community. I like how uh, people are willing to be critical of the work, right? And uh, try it, play with it, recommend improvements, and then people are willing to contribute to making those improvements. So it's a really quite perfect world, I think, for what I'm talking about here mm -hmm. with the research and development mindset. So it, it worked great for this project because it wasn't just me that built this. I mean, there's a community of contributors around this that are deserve credit as well for the excellent work they did uh, extending this project. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, one thing that I actually wanted to ask you next about the motivation of creating these tools and, and, and contributing that to open source communities, right? Because most of the projects come from different agenda when they're contributing to open source communities. And one, which is obvious case, is giving back to the community um, because maybe they have a sense of uh, purpose by giving back to the community. They have learned it from the community, so they, they feel there is a trade-off required there. Or the other ways, like when people actually requires more consumers or more users. Um, so that means the more users you have for the projects, the more test cases ha can happen. What was your motivation to build something that you have created for your work is giving back to the community? What what drives you there? I, I think it just comes from my belief that if you really want to make a difference or you want to move the needle, you, you need to give, put it, into more people's hands, right? I mean, if my goal is, I'd like to see more organizations have visibility on their exposure on the internet, right? That's what this this was. The, the way to do that isn't to say, so I'm gonna make the secret solution, the best solution, and then I'm, I'm gonna sell it to them and hope that they trust me to give them what they need. <clears throat> my uh, opinion on this has been, give them the solution, show them the power of, of what you're trying to get them to embrace. And then if they need help with it, or they want even better solutions, they'll come back to, to get it. And because now they've, they've experienced the solution. They, they know how effective it is. They know how important it is and they will, they'll be looking for more, right? Or, or more uh, help with things like integrating it into other investments that they've made. But if you really want people to adopt something that they haven't already adopted, you need to show it to them. They need to experience it themselves. <clears throat> what better way to do that than to hand it to them and say, try it, mm -hmm. try it and see how, see how it makes a difference. And that's what I wanted to do. That's what this was always about. After that person convinced me to share what I had 
with the community. It was about the wake up call. I had. So after I worked with going back a little bit after I worked with many companies and I noticed that this was, um, this was the norm that commercial companies didn't have good visibility on their exposure. It was like a wake up call for me because I realized this is a big problem and doesn't look like uh, someone else is doing something about it. So why, <laughs> why wait? Let's, let's get working on this. So, it, and then when the, um, these other people said, well, you should try open sourcing your project. It just seemed like, well, yeah, of course they're right. Let's do that. Let's give it away. Let's get more people doing it and seeing how important it is. And then we'll move the needle. We will improve this across the world. Whoever influenced you to uh, put that out there, uh, you did the right thing, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I noticed one more thing on your um, MS GitHub page. The code is heavily written in Go and then maybe used a little bit of Lua. Uh, what is your pick on language selections since you definitely worked on building defense and offense projects in the past? Um, Touchy subject, right? <laughs> um. well, one thing to call out like that, I like the sentence that you said, um, system should not be written in scripts. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I think someone should actually yeah, well, print it on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's true though. <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to write a system, we're not just talking about, oh, I need to automate some little task or something like that. If you're going to write a system, it really should be built like a system, not a pile of scripts uh, that could fall apart so easily, like a house of cards or something like that. <clears throat> so yeah, that's never really been my way. I mean, trust me, I've used scripting languages. They're good. They're good for what they're good for or what they're meant for. Um, I just don't think building rock solid systems is the place to be using them. <clears throat> But you, you asked an interesting question about Lua and things like that. So I can definitely shed some light on why I decided to do that. I mean, as far as why did I pick go, I, I, I don't know what to say other than I used C for so long and I have many great success stories with using C, but for plenty of years, all I could think is this language is in such dire need of modernization, right? It's, it's a powerful language, but it's missing so many great things that exist in more modern languages. Go comes along and it solves all of it, right? It's still compiled. It's still a powerful, strong language. It's still high performance. It's, it's taken on all the modern um, <clears throat> or it, it addressed all the mo modern features we wanted, especially things like um, concurrency and making it even easier to do network programming. I mean, there's just so many beautiful reasons to, to use go and it, it's just so pleasant to use too. I mean, for what it's worth, it's, it's so much fun to use go. So um, that's why I chose that. As far as why Lua or what, how did that come into play? <clears throat> so going back again to the years when I was using C, uh, when we when we were building these, again, systems, and we wanted to make them kind of like plug and play or, or be able to quickly add functionality to them, uh, I think it was back then I noticed uh, some very powerful 
security tools like Wireshark, Snort, Nmap, they all uh, used embedded Lua as a way to extend the functionality, right? Or let the user extend the functionality. And I like I liked that model. I thought it was a pretty strong uh, way to do that. So that way you can have this core engine that calls out to user-defined functionality. And it, it's a great way to, to uh, handle that. So we adopted it for the Amass project because there's so many different places that you can go look for OSINT, mm -hmm. you know, information that it it wasn't realistic <clears throat> that every time we wanted to extend where we were getting this intelligence that we had to write more go code you know and recompile it it just was silly and it makes it hard for a user to do that but if instead they can download the tool and then have a directory of their own scripts that defines maybe special places that they want to go looking for the data you know the intelligence Great. Now they can do it. It's pretty easy. So that's why we did that. I'm not sure that it has to be Lua, right? Like I've had some interesting discussions with people about, well, maybe it should be JavaScript. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, actually we're we're in we're open to discussing that right now. If anyone wants to jump on that uh discussion uh on our Discord, because we're going to be making a lot of large refactoring decisions on the project soon. And that's one of the key line items is whether we should keep it lure or move it to JavaScript. Mm -hmm. So uh, come join the, the heated discussions. If, if you want to chime in or help shape the future of this uh, project. Yeah. Language selections are always, always like a debatable question anyways, but the um, I, I like the, the designs there because a lot of uh, great projects actually follow the same same design patterns to keep the core engines minimal as in keep the core engine separate from the scriptable or or um, scalable functionalities like um, nmap does it uh, wireshark does it metasploit does it um, and they all follow the similar architectures they might be choosing different languages though wireshark and nmap is heavily relying on lua for that matter um, whereas uh, Metasploit is on a different angle, though. Yeah, so that's that's cool. Um, one thing is that you you work uh, with um, Zero Fox as attack surface protection, which is an interesting um, thing to discuss because um, it's a company that actually does the perimeter securities using machine learning or AI. Um, what do you do there, and can we get some some insights from like your work? Yeah, I mean, maybe a little background would help uh, make make it clear mm -hmm. why I'm, I'm where I am today. But so as I've been pushing to raise awareness and understanding about, I mean, keep in mind, I've been trying, I've been on this soapbox or I've been trying to get people to uh, embrace understanding their exposure on the internet before there was a term attack surface management, right? Like this is a somewhat new buzzword, but I'll, I'll embrace it since uh, it sounds nice. But uh, yeah, I've, I was calling it internet exposure. You know, there's, you can call it whatever you like, I guess. But ever since I kind of took up the torch or whatever you, you know, to try to get more people on board with this, 
uh, I've been doing this in my day jobs as well, right? So going back to like when I worked in the energy industry, you know, I, I implemented a program like this uh, at, at a company that was in an international in, uh, energy industry or energy company. Uh, that was a successful program. I went to Citibank and I ended up as the global head of attack surface management there, where again, we, we implemented a program to increase visibility. I mean, some of these companies already have respectable visibility on what they know they know, right? But it for some of these companies, what attack surface management can end up meaning is what about what you don't know? right? Or you're not tracking properly, or you lost track of or something like that, or you didn't realize was out there, and it's not supposed to be things like that. And a lot of these companies want to know uh, when that happens, right? So they they need a program like this, that's on that's continuously watching for any asset that shows up that shouldn't be there, essentially. So <clears throat> when we implemented that, I guess you could say, this was getting pretty easier. You know, this was getting definitely easier. I Maybe one way to think of it is when you can build a program like that in a company the size of Citibank, it, it starts to feel a lot easier to do this for anyone else, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> a lot less red tape in most companies. Um, and by seeing it uh, from that side now, right, where I've implemented it within a company that needs the protection, not just... I'm coming to these companies and speaking with them about it, like as a consultant, but now you're on the inside and you're fighting that battle uh, from within the company. When you have the whole picture, it just makes it so much easier to uh, contribute to this area of the market. So <clears throat> I think it's when this happened that it made more sense to say, okay, great. I know how to do this, but how can I reach even more organizations to do this for more people. Cause again, that's what I'm trying to do, right? I'm trying to bring this to as much of the world as I can. Well, zero Fox has customers all across the world that are seeking help with external cybersecurity. I mean, that's what this is, right? Zero Fox is external cybersecurity. So <clears throat> what better place to, to enhance this kind of capability or bring an even even better solution to all these um, companies or customers. So that that was the drive, or that was why I wanted to do do this with Zero Fox, mm -hmm. uh, was so that we can just reach even more people with this visibility that we're trying to share with people, or show people, or help people obtain. So you use AMAS um, with Zero Fox also. Like uh, it's it's basically like a better test ground, if I say that correctly. Oh, absolutely, <clears throat> we use it and we extend it, right? So, just like any other user can extend the functionality mm -hmm. to their needs, uh, Zero Fox can extend it to utilize, like you said earlier, their um, their investments that they've made over the many years that they've been in this business. Uh, they can have a, a mass leverage of that and then bring even greater visibility to their customers. Maybe one silly question though here. Um, I've I've read AMAS everywhere. Is that an acronym or is it like an attack something or 
what do you call it like how what did how did that code name come from i know <clears throat> i think people are hoping i have like some great answer to this right like yes we we spent hours imagining what this should mean but no it it was more like hey we're going to need a name for this project and then we just looked up some words that were uh, relevant to what we were trying to do like amass all the information we can you know about exposure on the internet and it was a nice short word uh even better it started with an a so in alphabetical order it shows up first <laughs> you know if i'm just being honest like or transparent here um it was just short and sweet right like it it did the yeah. job and i don't think we were i don't think we were being too picky at the time <clears throat> so that's how it got its name yeah it's uh, it sounded like you know uh, some some lousy parent making their child name start with a so it comes in first <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah there's there's no there's no beautiful story to how we selected <laughs> the name and you know and and to give uh credit where credit's due mm-hmm. uh one of my sons even uh recommended the name oh like, that's cool yeah like so it was just we were kind of winging it right and i was open to any idea about what we should call it uh and that seems to stick <laughs> that's cool any interesting uh, experience during the development or after maybe contributing to open source anything that clicks your your memory maybe a challenge or or rather if i'm asking that maybe any interaction with the community that you you find it like memorable and uh, beneficial for the project or for your personal growth as well well i've i've had so many beneficial interactions with i don't know if this counts as open source but <clears throat> at uh Defcon. Mm-hmm. I mean Defcon has been such a great place for me because <clears throat> I've been able to meet so many brilliant people there, have very open discussions. So like I said, I don't know if this is open source, but more like openness um and so many great ideas have poured out of people's minds I feel like at that event. So I I always feel like I'm looking back thinking Ah, def defcon is always where the great things seem seem to happen but in general conferences have been a great pl- place for me um now in the open source community i mean owasp has done a nice job of creating the infrastructure around this project that has made it easy to to reach people and get people to our discord where lots of great conversations have taken place right and lots of great ideas have been shared uh almost anything we do in this project starts in that discord and then and then it happens on github you know it's not the other way around so you know and that's definitely the open source community right there it's the it's the user base around this tool it's the the contributors around this project and that's where all the ideas are pouring out or the critic the constructive criticism comes out you know things like that so i have lots of great memories of those discussions on discord mm-hmm. uh and how beneficial that's been to this project yeah i will also put the uh discord channel uh link uh, in the same pa- same podcast page so people who are listening wanted to get participated in the project uh feel free to join there as well one thing i would add to your question <clears throat> is a uh, regardless of whether we're talking about open source or anywhere that you're trying to do work with smart people that are 
trying to help, right? I would say the best thing you can do is listen, right? I mean, it sounds so simple, right? But it's amazing how often people overlook what I'm saying, I think. Listen to these people, listen to their concerns, listen to their ideas. And if you remain objective and open to considering these things, it's incredible what gets accomplished. I've, I have never done anything amazing by myself. Not really. I mean, not compared to the things that have been accomplished on with these projects that have included many great people. It's always when these people come together and are willing to listen to each other and, and then make the say the best that comes out of everyone. Right. It's when that's happening that amazing things happen. And that's why I like the open source community. Uh, but that's how I operate my own teams mm -hmm. within organizations as well is we're all here contributing. We're all going to listen. We're all going to con be considered. And it's just an important way I think to treat people if you want to get, make great things happen. Yep. Totally agree. Um, so Jeff, um, it was great actually listening to your journey uh, with Zero Fox and even before that and with MS. Before we wind up, um, what's your two sentence to um, our audience or people who wanted to get into InfoSec or specifically maybe uh, people who wanted to start contributing to open source community? I don't, I don't know if I can do that in two sentences or, or in uh, two seconds, but I can certainly, <laughs> yeah, sure. I can certainly give you an answer to that question. Um, cause I feel like I, I actually get this question frequently, uh, since I'm a part-time professor as well. And, you know, I get a lot of people coming up to me saying, well, where should I invest my time or how should I get started or, um, or what did you do that, you know, that I should do or something like that. Although I'm, I'm not sure those are the right questions, <laughs> but um, but I understand what they're trying to ask. I mean, I feel like what they're expecting me to say is, "This is the secret." Let me let me tell you, this is how you do it, right? But that's not the right way to think about it. I don't, in my opinion, I would say, instead of trying to <clears throat> ask everyone else how you you should be like them to achieve success, I would say, be yourself, right? Come up, like, be willing to em embrace and support your own ideas. Now, how are you going to do that? What if you, what if you don't feel like you have any? Well, then start at the, with the fundamentals, I would say, then go back to reading the books about how does the internet work or how, how do operating systems work or, uh, you know, expand your own mind of course, pay attention to what other people are doing and <clears throat> and see the successes that they have had or or understand the current state of um, like where is the state of the art and things like that as part of your research. But I would say focus on not being like other people, but making yourself better and then great things will come from that. And if you follow that path, I think it, it answers both of your questions in, in a lot of ways, right? It means you'll end up coming up with your own great ideas that are worth throwing into an open source repo and playing around with and and other people will eventually gravitate to what you're doing, right? If if it's um, worth spending time on, right? I mean, not everything you create is going to be some 
hit that everybody wants to, you know, yeah. spend time on, but keep trying. And eventually something's likely to come out, you know, come out of that. And when it comes to uh, InfoSec, it really is the same exact thing though. Keep teaching yourself, keep learning, keep understanding the problem better and great opportunities will present themselves, you know, and when, when you, as long as you're willing to, to look at it that way and work hard, that's the other thing. There's no, there's no way to like, there's no cheat sheet to all this. You just have to work hard. Um, and actually harder than work harder than the other people. And then you will definitely have no problem with success. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the only, if there is a secret, that's the secret. It's, it's teach yourself, work hard and, believe in yourself and work on your own ideas. And I think that will create unique contributions from you to the, to the community or to your employer or whoever we're talking about here. And you'll do fine. Awesome. Um, Jeff, you lead a team, uh, you code an amazing project and you teach. What do you enjoy the most? <laughs> oh boy. Um, what do I enjoy the most? You know, it probably sounds perhaps uh, silly, but I like, I like helping people right now. There's a lot of ways that you can help people, but the reason I like the MS project so much, which I think I've kind of said already is because I do believe we are helping people, right? We're, we're making it easy for people to gain uh, visibility on their organizations and make better decisions about how to improve their security posture. But we're also just showing people a lot of things, I think, about how this data is all over the internet, you know, how they can say clean up some of this if they uh, want to, you know, improve their best practices and due diligence. So there's a lot of interesting things to be gleaned from the project, but you, you say, I, I, I do all these different things. What, what do I uh, like to do? <clears throat> well, when I was really young, I liked tutoring people, right? I like teaching people. I like showing people uh, how they can do better, right? Or like do th these things as well. So I feel that being the professor, you know, definitely gives me the opportunity to show these students what they're capable of, help them reach their potential. The open source work allows me to reach out to a large group of people and bring them into this work and, and make them part of what we're trying to do and give them the chance to um, get credit for their, for their hard work and things like that. And all of it gives me a way to reach the rest of the world, right? Like communicate with the world about how we can do better with this. So <clears throat> of course, I believe Zero Fox wants to do that as well. Mm -hmm. They're always trying to reach out uh, to people and, and help people understand about external cybersecurity threats and things like that. So, you know, I feel like I'm able to achieve those goal, my personal goals to teach people and, and uh, raise awareness through uh, Zero Fox as well. So that's what I enjoy doing. <laughs> that covers everything that you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, in summary, I, I like helping people and I do enjoy teaching people. Oh, great. Thanks, Jeff. I think it was, it was very, very great talking to you and, uh, wish you all the very best help more people, um, as you 
in improving the project yeah don't for everyone listening come to our discord don't be afraid to uh walk in the door tell, yeah, yeah tell us what you think i mean it's a very open project with and we welcome anyone that wants to uh either contribute to it or just share your thoughts about it or just tell us listen. why you yeah like it or don't like <laughs> just, it just you know recording from what you said like just just join there and listen how ideas are creating ideas are being discussed and and transforming into a code i think it's wonderful to see yeah awesome yeah thanks for for uh, having me on the show um it's great being able to uh speak with you and and um everyone else about this and yeah we're going we're going to have a, a a fun year in 2023 with a mass yeah. oh one one thing one little plug let me let me uh before sure. you shut this down in this year at defcon i announced that we're expanding the scope of this project right so it it was during a panel discussion on attack surface management where i announced how we are broadening the definition of what attack surface means right now i mm-hmm. i'd like to spend a moment on this this is kind of important <clears throat> many people think of attack surface meaning infrastructure attack surface right which is fine and that's definitely been what the amass project is focused on so far but uh myself and and several other people uh in the community such as like nahamsek i believe would agree with me on this um definitely feel this needs a broader definition right it's time to look at more than just infrastructure when you're a- assessing an organization's attack surface so we will be broadening that uh scope in the project to look at more than just uh infrastructure assets found on the internet so if that intrigues anyone uh or excites anyone to want to contribute to this project or want to hear more about what we're thinking uh for instance we're also going to be changing the data model to and to be able to take on all this additional data that we're going to be collecting if that excites you and you want you have ideas about that now is the time to come talk with us about it because when 2023 hits we're going to be making a lot of uh changes to this project so it's going to be it's going to be an exciting upcoming year sounds super interesting all the best with that uh jeff and the rest of the team with uh, ms project all right thank you thanks everyone for listening to the podcast we'll talk to you in the next one